to investingforeternity.com radio, American History, Part 1. No subject is comprehensible apart from theology. Life is about God, about becoming friends with Him and learning to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Him we live and move and have our being. History is his story, and we live and move and have our being in that story. Any aspect of history can only be understood in terms of God's purpose, so we must begin the study of American history in the Garden of Eden and follow its course through Bethlehem to Europe and then on to North America. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he created man in his own image and pronounced him very good. So in the beginning, man was not only good, but very good. And God mandated that he take dominion over the earth to care for and cultivate his beautiful creation. But man disobeyed God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he became not just bad, but very bad so bad that God repented that he had made man and brought a flood to destroy all but one man and his family. Though Noah was a just man, nevertheless he and his posterity were still afflicted with the sin nature inherited from the first man and consequently faced death if no remedy was forthcoming. God provided that remedy in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty for man's sins and saves whosoever believes on him. Man's fall into sin did not rescind the dominion mandate nor God's other purposes in creation, but only frustrated man's ability to fulfill those purposes. Christ came to restore man to fellowship with God so that he can learn to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and his neighbor as himself and rule over creation in accordance with God's original intent. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end and his kingdom will be established with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Hark the herald angels sing, born that man no more may die. It came upon a midnight clear, for lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when the new heaven and earth shall own the Prince of Peace their King, and the whole world send back the song, which now the angels sing, Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. These Christmas hymns, celebrating the birth of Christ, cannot be fully appreciated apart from the understanding that his everlasting rule in heaven and on earth commenced with his first advent. 
Prior to Christ's birth, the vast majority of humanity was enslaved by cruel tyrants and lived in poverty and darkness. Then, as Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. The kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Through the centuries since that time, countless Christians have given their lives for the advancement of that kingdom because of their love for God and faith in His promises and because they valued liberty for themselves and their posterity above their earthly lives. We are indebted to God's grace and their selfless dedication to the advancement of His kingdom for the liberty and prosperity that we Christians in the West have enjoyed until recently. The Christians who fought for liberty in the Reformation and the American Revolution were not afflicted by the false dualism which plagues many American evangelicals today. The dualism which posits a sharp dichotomy between body and spirit and leads to a misguided life of hyper-spiritualized privatization of the faith and radical individualism with no regard for community. The idea of separating the material from the spiritual never occurred to our American Revolution forebears because the two are inseparable and mutually dependent on one another. Loss of property rights and civil freedom will bring loss of religious freedom and vice versa. All of the apostles except John lost their lives as martyrs. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, the Emperor Domitian ordered John to be cast into a cauldron of boiling oil, but the oil did him no harm. Unable to kill John, Domitian banished him to the Isle of Patmos. In the first century A.D., God directed the Apostle Paul and his companions westward into Europe, which became the bedrock of Christendom. Charlemagne, emperor of Western Europe at the turn of the ninth century, realized that Christian religion and education was a necessary foundation for civil order, as God intended, and promoted both in Germany and France. Alfred the Great, king of England during the late ninth century, ruled in accordance with Mosaic Law and the Golden Rule, which elected rulers of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Earls ruled over shires, comparable to counties in today's United States. The earls had assistants known as shire reefs, from whence we get the word sheriff. Alfred's laws, that is, biblical law, became what is known as English common law with provision for habeas corpus and trial by jury. In 1215, English barons forced King John to sign the Magna Carta, establishing the principle that all men, including kings, were under the law of God. John Wycliffe, 1331-1384, the morning star of the Reformation, was the first to give Englishmen the Bible in their own tongue. John Huss was martyred for promulgating Wycliffe's teachings in Bohemia. In 1517, in Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses, condemning the practice of selling indulgences. Luther explained that the Bible is the supreme authority in religion and all matters of life, and that man is justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ, though he made it clear that true faith would produce the fruit of good works in the life of a true believer. 
Luther translated the first German Bible in 1534. In 1540, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark became Lutheran nations. The Roman Catholic Church comprised the vast majority of believers throughout Western Europe in the Middle Ages, and consequently, despite false teachings such as Mariolatry, Purgatory, and Ultramontanism, its ranks included many sincere and devout believers as it does today. Unfortunately, evil beasts, including some from the Antichrist of the Ages, the Whore of Babylon, acquired many positions in the ruling hierarchy of the day, from the lowest priest to the Pope. This corrupt Roman Catholic hierarchy was the most visible manifestation of Antichrist at the time of the Reformation, and the Reformers called it such and fought and defeated it. William Tyndale, to whom we are indebted for most of the King James Bible, gave his life that English-speaking people could read the Bible in their native tongue. He had no wife or children and was strangled and his remains burned in 1536. Tyndale's Bible was instrumental in the English Reformation and the rise of the Separatist movement in England, and in 1620, 102 of these separatists left England for America in their quest for freedom. They were blown off course from their intended destination of Virginia to an area in New England that had been inhabited by the savage Patuxet Indian tribe until 1617, when the entire tribe except for one was wiped out by a plague. The lone survivor, a man named Squanto, had been captured by an English explorer in 1605 and taken to England, where he learned to speak English. He became a Christian and obtained passage back to New England in 1619, one year before the pilgrims arrived, only to find that his entire tribe had died. He joined the nearby Wapanoag tribe and in the spring of 1621 discovered and befriended the pilgrims and taught them how to grow corn and hunt game. Invaluable lessons since nearly half the pilgrims had perished from starvation and illness that first winter. He also taught them to trap beaver and harvest the pelts for income and helped them secure peace with the surrounding Indian tribes. Governor Bradford appointed a day of thanksgiving to God in the fall of 1621 and invited Squanto and the Wapanoags for a feast and celebration of God's deliverance. Bradford wrote that Squanto was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectation. I'm Donald Crum. You've been listening to InvestingForEternity.com radio, American History, Part 1.